Today's passage is from John 13, 12, uh, and to 14, chapter 14, verse 3. So when he had washed their feet, put on his outer clothes, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you understand what I just did to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's who I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, then you also should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example, so what I just did for you, you can do for others. This is as true as truth can be. I say this to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand what I just did, you will be blessed in doing it too. I'm not talking about all of you. I know the folks I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it even happens. So when it does happen, you can believe that I am. This is as true as truth can be. I say this to you. Whoever welcomes the person I send also welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me is actually welcoming the one who sent me. After saying all of this, Jesus was very upset in his spirit and testified, This is as true as truth can be. I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain who he was talking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining at the table on Jesus' chest. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus who he was talking about. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's the person I give this bit of bread to after I dip it. So when he dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After he took the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to buy the provisions for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the bit of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. After he left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you just a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jewish, Jewish leaders, I now also say to you, you cannot come where I am going. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, You cannot follow me now where I am going, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? This is as true as truth can be. I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Don't let your hearts be upset. Believe into God. Believe also into me. In my father's house, there is so much room. If it weren't like that, would I tell you I am going to prepare a place for you? 
and if I go and get a place already, I'll come back and take you to myself, so you can be with me where I am. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I want to I want to give out some props uh, to 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 atheists. Yeah, I I actually got up here and said that I know uh, I got up and actually said it. You heard me and mishear me. Uh, I want to give props to atheists. I'm serious about this, and what I mean is. Uh, Atheism, and especially the aggressive tactics of atheistic thinkers, uh, have, a, have, a, have a tendency to help us understand real faith from false faith itself. What do I mean by this? Uh, you might think, oh, you know, those atheist teachers out there, they're, they're going to shipwreck people. And th- th- there is a truth to that. There, are, there is error out there, and there is Sin. There are there are men making men and women making arguments that are not even good, not even tenable themselves. But I, I, I'm 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 guess I'm I'm moving. I'm thanking. I'm I'm in a place of thankfulness because what it does is it ferrets out usefully ferrets out true belief and false belief. There are so many versions of false Christianity, false belief out there right now, right now. There's so much fake gospel, as it were, fake news. Fake news has hit the Christian church. It's it's as part of who we are. It's a part of our context as much as anybody else's. And because of that, I'm personally encouraged when somebody comes to me. I remember uh, remember sharing this with you, you, uh, Simon, a friend of yours who who had decided he wasn't a Christian. And one of the things I said to Simon was, I think that conclusion is appropriate for a number of people (laughs) because their faith is not the faith of the Bible. Their faith is either some Christian superstitious construct or it's some religious pablum. What is pablum? Anybody know what pablum is? Pablum is baby food. It's the little crackers that babies can suck on and suck on eat. Pablum. It's the most basic form of food possible. And so it seems to me Christianity right now, as a, as, or let's call it churchianity. Should we call it churchianity? I've heard that expression. I don't know if it's helpful or not, but Christianity as a cultural movement in America is corrupt. It is. Deeply corrupt. We shouldn't be surprised by that either. We'll see. That's it, The context for where corruption happens is the church. It always has been like that. But, but hear me here. When an atheist attacks and people hear their, hear their arguments, something else happens. And that is the true worth, the true value, the true, ascerta- the true worship of that person's heart is going to be exposed. And if they have a false view of Christ, a false view of Christianity, that atheist has done them a good, a good service because they've given up something that wasn't true to begin with. And so we are, I am personally, hooray for atheists. I said it. Okay. Why did I say hooray for atheists? Because atheism first criticizes one of the most corrupt versions of Christianity alive right now. It's alive in the local high schools. It may even be, I haven't worried about sharing this because it may sound like your belief system. It does. If it does, then I hope you will hear the rebuke. What is moralistic, therapeutic, 
Deism, MTD. Have you got an MTD? That sounds awful. <laughs> uh, MTDs are out there and they're spreading. Okay, so moralistic therapeutic deism. And what, the, what is this? This is the reductionist, simple kind of faith statement of most Christians, I would say, culturally, and actually most people. There is a God somewhere. That's deism. It's watchmaker God. God kind of came along, and there's the universe, and bam, lets it go. He's not personally invested, not personally involved, not personally attached, and not personally accessible, not personally knowable. It's de- raw and simple. A watchmaker God who set the universe as a clock. Okay, that's a, boy, this idea of a God here in this moralistic therapeutic deism is a God who you never have to personally deal with. He's not a threat. He's not really much of a comfort either, perhaps. But but there's a God somewhere. This God wants us to be happy. And so do we. Yeah, yeah, it's just like this God arranges himself with my personal happiness and his happiness. He wants the same things that I do or he or she. Belief in this God makes us better people. It's therapeutic, right? It changes us, makes us feel better. And who doesn't feel better about that? There's just some God out there, some God force, some God character that, that just is going to catch you when you fall, maybe help you out when you die, maybe in the end, help you to be a better person. And then if you are a better person, what's your hope? You, you, we should all try your best to be good people. And if you're good enough, and if you are good, you go to heaven. There it is, that simple. And all that is, that is what's called a false religion. Where's Christ in there? Christ doesn't exist. No God personally dies. Nobody is called to sacrificial living. Nobody is called to understand themselves as sinners. There's no threat. There's no. This is a false gospel. And, and honestly, when a lot of atheists, people who are aggressive in their atheism, come after Christianity, what do they generally think it is? This is what they're attacking. Praise God for that. This should be attacked. <laughs> This is a silly view of reality. What I mean silly is it has nothing to support it. It simply comes out of your kind of like social consensus that everybody kind of agrees that, and everybody kind of nods when you talk like this. And it doesn't come from any revelation. And it's merely some feel good, do good sentiment. Doesn't deal with the fact that people are dying around you or, that, or your fears about tomorrow. It doesn't help you. It is a false religion. You could put Jesus in here, right? And it would still work. There's a Jesus somewhere. This Jesus wants us to be happy. Maybe you talk a lot about Jesus, but it doesn't, it's still the same. It's your getting better. It's you achieving. And it's God finally, finally rewarding you. Oh, let atheism have its day with this false religion. This is unbiblical. Actually, it's kind of funny. This moralistic therapeutic deism is, there's versions of it everywhere. It's an approximation of actually of a lot of other religions and, and uh, ancient religion, ancient religion of the Greeks. Moralistic. Are you a moralistic therapeutic deist? Have you ever been in churches where you hear this kind of preaching? You almost always hear it. It's always do good and be better. And because God wants you to or help you or something like that. Now, that I am glad for. But hooray for atheists because they also attack superstitious Christian supernaturalism. Now this is on the other, other, other extreme here. 
And I've seen this now, I, I, I hate to say it, there's a church in this city now that, that teaches this, where men and women are going on grave sites and lying down on them like this so they can suck the souls of the dead out. <sighs> Superstitious Christian supernaturalism. That is not an exaggeration. It's an actual local teaching. God is at war. By the way, you're going to notice a number of these almost sound true. <laughs> they all have a ring of truth, but they're not central truth. It's taking a, a, a peripheral Christian teaching and making it central. Superstitious Christian supernaturalism. God is at war. And, and that's the ultimate statement of the universe. God is at war. We have been enlisted to be victorious and help him. And uh, this idea that we've been enlisted is that we're now uh, in, this, in this army and our victory over the demonic world is now the full feature of our worship. We're going to deliver you and you and you, and we're going to deliver people. We're going to act. We're going to act this out all the time in our worship. And that God is at war, and we've been enlisted to help him. We can figure out what's going on and fight it. Oh, I need a word of knowledge. There's all sorts of different claims to authority and power. I can see into your soul because God has told me. If you haven't been around this, it's extremely powerful. I have been tricked by it before. Because when you're around it, you want to believe the best of the people around you. And they do seem to deeply care, and I think they do care. But what has happened is that this superstitious version of Christian warfare has taken the central seat, and it creates arrogance and destruction everywhere it goes. And you know, Peter sent me a clipping from a news article from the, for you, the BBC, where Christians in public places were going up to blind people and, the, and those who are in wheelchairs and forcibly praying for them without permission, without... That is a disgrace. Our Savior himself would walk by a leper, and if that leper didn't cry out, he wouldn't deign. The king of the universe wouldn't deign to do something he hadn't been asked to do. But these men, people with presumption, were warned about them. Uh, Jude tells us, people get fascinated with spiritual stuff because it's exciting. And what they do is they blaspheme angelic beings without any understanding. And in fact, he even goes on, he quotes the book of Enoch, which is one of those books you got to be careful about. It's, it, but he quotes it and he says, even, even when the archangel was arguing with Moses over the body, or arguing with the devil, I'm sorry, over the body of Moses. This is an apocryphal story. We don't know if this is true or not, but this is what he's quoting it. Even in that story, the angel said, what does the angel say to the demon? What does he say? The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Angels engaged in angelic demonic warfare do not themselves attack. What do they say? The Lord rebuke you. So if we believe hard enough, we can exert power over demonic forces. And what you'll hear is uh, people talking with tremendous certainty about what they're doing as they're preaching or praying. <sighs> Hooray for atheists. When they identify this as a kind of emotional terrorism, an emotional hijacking of Christian belief into a system where you now owe your life and power to me because I can speak God's truth directly to you. And I know God's truth about you. I, I, I'm telling you, I, you know, and I, it, the tricks are all over the place. And if you're not familiar with this, it, when you get ambushed, it's really kind of scary. Because I, and I don't know these groups as well. So maybe some of you know them better than I do. I've bumped in over the years. But, but I'm at this church one time, and 
they had asked us to, to stand if, to stand up if, uh, if uh, we were experiencing um, uh, spiritual warfare in our lives. And I, at the time, I was at this big, 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 big room, four or 5,000 people. And I, I'm good conscious, just stood up because I felt it. I felt that need. And I'm standing there. And he goes, thank you so much. Will everybody gather around that person that just stood and lay on hands? Now, now I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fairly, uh, uh, I, I appear very outgoing. And, and I'm good at talking, but I don't like to be touched like that, especially by people I don't know. And I, I felt trapped. I got tricked. <laughs> I was like, wait, I stood up because you asked me a different question. I didn't stand up to get mobbed. And now eight people are touching me praying over me in languages I don't even understand. That's a power play. That's manipulation. God and his servants, if they do have a special word about somebody, they just speak it. They need nothing else. The power of God is truly supernatural. It doesn't depend on any human tactic or manipulation. Remember that. Remember that. Remember it, because it's going to be the, way, the hooray for atheists. But the atheists have it wrong, too. They are actually preaching a one-story cosmos. What do I mean? There's only one room, and we're all in it. It's the universe. There's no upstairs. There's no heaven. No downstairs. There's no hell. All you can really be sure of is you and what you see, and that's it. It's a one-story room from beginning of the cosmos to the other. And that perspective is that's the atheist perspective. But I want you to see this house is built on straw too. He's claiming things he can't possibly know because we know the God of the universe. Now, so what I want to introduce us first then is to a new view of the world. And the way I want you to do this is today is going to be our starting point. After this, for the rest of the summer, we're going to be in Ephesians 6 talking about spiritual warfare. We're doing an excursus on spiritual Why? Because it's everywhere. In the narrative, it's very hard for me to pick out of the narrative just how many times. Before we even got, I didn't want to, we could have read for two chapters. And if you did, you would see again and again, Christ is self-aware that he's about to be betrayed. And the text keeps talking about there's a demonic, it always says Judas who betrayed him. There's this awareness that something, that the demonic is present. It's an undercurrent. It's like it's just running right below the story all the time. And, and here we can see it. The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. What did we learn about demonic, about the, the demonic reality? It is predicted and described by the Bible. <laughs> it is to, it, about the true reality of this world and spiritual warfare. What do we learn about, about, about this? Is that he, after he taken his bread, this people, Satan entered into him. What are you going to do, do quickly? Evil is extremely personal. Do you notice that? We're learning evil's personal in this. Christ is having a personal conversation with a person about what that person is doing, and then another person enters into him. Do you see that? Satan entered into him. It's the same word, by the way, used down here, believe into God. Ooh, that's very important, by the way, because they're going to be contrasted. And then I want you to notice this in the text. Very rarely does John give us markers about day and night. You see it? It was night. And the whole idea in the story is night is descending. 
The powers of darkness are taking their cue. They have moved. They are on the move. Purse up one man in personally doomed to destruction on the, on the word of God, by the word of God, has lifted his heel against him. Well, so what, uh, what am I, what am I, what do I want to begin? I want to begin with that we need to see the universe the way Christ sees it. God is in himself outside the universe. And then this is, a, we, I didn't, we can't get enough in the text to say this, but remember Jesus kept saying, I came into this cosmos, I came into this world. I, he comes from outside. Why is this so important? Well, in that Christian superstitious model, God and, you can stand up, you'll be God, I'll be the devil. God and devil are like this. They're like equal. Do you see they're, they're in a titanic battle, right? Back and forth and back and forth as if they're both locked in space and time. That is not the scripture's view of the universe. Christ comes from outside space and time. And, and so he, said, he is teaching us about a two-tiered universe. The universe is angels, demons, and heaven. The universe of stars, galaxies, planets, and physics. And the, this is the true world that we live in. And, and, and the reason I want to put it this way is because the text is so funny. The Bible just never comes out and tells you, oh, by the way, the world has a heaven and hell. It never talks like that, right? It doesn't talk like that because it assumes it. It is assuming a worldview that's very, very different than yours and mine. You have been sold this one right here. This is the universe, stars, galaxies, and you. That's what you've been sold, and it isn't true. Christ has come when we need a new biblical supernaturalism. The supernatural is a real subtext for the cosmos. The supernatural is almost completely unexplained. The supernatural is personal, active, and intelligent. The supernatural is, like all natural processes, under Christ's direct control. The supernatural is a subtext, is a real subtext for the cosmos. Uh, and I, this is the argument I've been making the whole time. This is the argument I'm making all the time. Uh, if you ever see, there's a famous book here from, from, from uh, San Francisco, everything you, think, everything you Think is Wrong. Ever, it's an old book from the 60s. It's supposed to get you to think outside your capitalistic, white American th thinking, right? The Bible could have that title too. Everything you know about the world is wrong. That could be on your Bible. That would be an appropriate title for the Bible for this world. Everything you think you know about the world is wrong. What's the point? There is a sub Why don't I put it as a subtext? For, there's a real, a supernatural is a real subtext for the cosmos. Why don't I put it that way? Because the world's view is that it is the constant, pervasive consciousness of evil that is alive in the world all the time. This is where Christian superstition gets some of its traction. Well, we know it's out there. We know it's real. We know it's the subtext. And so what are we, what are we tempted to do when we know there's a subtext of some secret battle going on? We want to fill in the blanks, right? We want to, we want to fill it in. Okay. Well, uh, I was tempted, and, and there's a lot of temptation about sex. Well, there's a, there's a demon of sex. That's what there is. There must be a demon who does sex stuff and tempts me into sexual. That's the, and what do we do the next one? We, try, we, 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 we escape the second thing that's true in the Bible. The supernatural is almost completely unexplained. I, I, look, I, look, the scriptures do not fill in the blanks, so stop trying to yourself. 99%, this is a 99% rule. I was going to come out there and say it. 
of, of, of what's happening in the, in the spiritual realm is not explained to you and me. 99%, probably 99.9. Supernatural is almost completely unexplained. Third, the supernatural is personal, active, and intelligent. The idea that George Lucas, George, bless his heart. George, those, those nasty little metachlorians. You know, because the metachlorians, it's their fault. And maybe your fault if you choose to use the bad metachlorians for your... But what I, you know what I don't like about the metachlorians as the, as the catch-all for good and evil? They're not personal. It's just like, so the force in Lucas's ideas, and this is very common in our world in that, that therapeutic moralistic dualism, dualism is that, uh, is that, oh, you know, there's maybe like a spiritual stuff out there, and oh yeah, I kind of feel it sometimes. I kind of, maybe I can tap into some of its strength and do something with it and, and play with it. And, under, and yeah, I've got to fight some of the bad. <laughs> no. per- evil is personal and intelligent. It is, it has goals. It seeks things. It is after you, as it were. It is alive. And finally, supernatural is like all natural processes under Christ's control. That's why it says the scriptures must be fulfilled. I want you to follow this, how Christ, how, how smart he is about this. Um, I am telling you this now before it even happens. So that when it does happen, you can believe that I am. What, what's the idea here? Christ has not presented the supernatural world as, hey, take it, take it on faith. No, he's actually inviting you to test his words. He's telling you things so you can reach into them and say, well, is it true? And did it work out the way he said it did? And can, so if, he, if it did, then I can trust him more deeply about everything he said. And so Christ himself accepts your standards for truth. He does, he's like, right? Bring on. I'll meet them. I'll meet your standards for truth better than you do because he is truth himself. Now, um, but as, I, as we talk about this, uh, what are the three calls? A call to supernatural realism in the Judas principle. First, what's the Judas principle? If you got 12, one of them's got a demon. Look, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is always true in the church, but you, can you give me a good reason why it wouldn't be? If our Savior could pick 12 and one would have a demon, do you think I'm batting better? Where's the first place the demons come crawling out of their hole in the New Testament? Where's the first place these ugly, mischievous creatures come? In the church, in the synagogue. First place we find demons in the New Testament in Mark, in the synagogue. (sighs) It's called a supernatural realism in the Judas principle. And then I invite you to be a Hollywood critic. For some reason, demons and angels are really popular right now in Hollywood. You guys, there's a new place, new show called Good Omens coming out on Amazon. Uh, have, you, have you guys seen Lucifer at all? And then there was Constantine was another one. I'm telling you, pay attention to these, these because pay attention to how Hollywood interprets the demonic because, I mean, because it can filter into how you think. 
Be careful. Think about it. Think, be critical because they're filling in the blanks. They're, they're taking our truth and making it a mythology. Be very, very careful. Lucifer is always an angel of light. He is always beautiful. Well, that show Lucifer captures some of that. But they're, all, they're trying to reach into it and they don't understand it. But their supernatural realism can help us understand our own. Second, cold humility, discretion, and skepticism about supernatural claims, the 99% rule. For example, we ought to be very humble about everything anybody claims about the supernatural because 99% of it is left unknown. What is, so if the Bible doesn't tell you, you don't need to know. You ever heard that expression, uh, uh, that need, you'll know what I need to know? Oh, I, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. And the idea that it's just top secret is give out a need-to-know basis. That is exactly what supernatural warfare is like. It, it, it is simply not. It is simply not like what you think it is. It is you will give you given the information you need, and we'll we'll see shortly what that means. Finally, call to recognize this new dimension on our, in our lives, but don't feed the bears. How many? Do you guys were these signs up when you were kids? Don't feed the bears, especially the really really crummy little zoos. I mean the zoos that are just don't have a big budget and the bear is only about 10 feet away from you or five feet behind a flimsy cage of chicken wire. You ever been to one of these places? It's fun because you can really feed the bears. You can. It's one place they actually gave you food to feed the bears. And I always thought, that's kind of counter. That doesn't really work. If I feed them once, I'm going to want to feed them again. You can't tell me to feed them one time and then not another. Only feed them what you... Don't feed the bears. What I mean is don't feed your own curiosity. The Bible's given you enough information and data. Don't feed the curiosity. And what I mean by this is in, in, at Wheaton College, I went to Wheaton, uh, and in the, in the top of the Billy Graham Center, which is a kind of a, even more odd, Billy Graham's name's attached to it, but in, the, in that top storeroom of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, the center of evangelicalism, there's a cage about half the size of this room. It's about half the size of this room. I know, I've been in it. And uh, in that cage are spell books. Yeah, grimoires, uh, books about demons and the occult. I was so furious when I found it. I went right to the dean and told him how wrong I thought it was that we had these books in secret, in storage, under lock and key even. And then I remember what he said to me, Sam said to me, Chris, that is research for the mature. Hogwash. Is he more mature than John? Are people more mature in these days than John or Moses? No, they're not. More mature than Christ. Christ told us what we need to know. And in fact, the blessedness of all this is going to come together in a very beautiful way. We have a tool against demonic power that's astounding, that breaks all the rules. But don't, anyways, you can learn, but don't feed the bears. Don't feed that curious, that curious spirit that's in your heart. Now, getting down to Christ being down to brass tacks, he wants you to trust him. I want you, I'm going to call you to make a decision for Christ today. I do that every week. Some of, some of you all know Jesus. I don't know. But I'm going, to, I'm going to call for you to decide for Christ. And then after I call you to decide for Christ, I'm going to call you to live for Christ. Because living for Christ is fighting the demonic. And that, that's where this kind of cashes in beautifully. Something beautiful happens here. Uh, truth, you've got to trust Christ's words. Where evil works, God works all the more. Praise him. Don't you realize this is everything? Where did evil triumph? Where did evil stand and say it had defeated 
love on Golgotha, Calvary. The Son of God dies. But what really happened when the Son of God died? He triumphed over the forces of darkness. Praise Him! Where evil works, God works all the more. This is always true. It is true over and over again, and it is true in our lives, and it is true about spiritual conflict. About, and Christ is telling you about the cosmos. He's telling you straight as an objective observer of our reality. Christ isn't stuck where you are wondering what's true and what's not. He's not. He's coming in how, understanding how, how intelligent and articulate, intelligent, planning, manipulative evil can be defeated by him and will be, and is being defeated and has been defeated again and again. He's telling it to you straight and he delivers it straight. And I want you to notice something here. I hope you hear this. There's no create, Christ wears his supernatural perspective. You've heard me say this before about his glory. He wears it like an old coat, like an old comfortable coat that he doesn't even know yet. If you have any coats that you have them on, you don't even know you have it on, you like it so much. Jack's jacket's like that. Jack, that jacket must be yours. Yeah. I love that jacket. No, we all have like comfort clothes, clothes that we just, that's just our us. And we, Christ wears his eternity that way. He doesn't even notice it. It's like he's just talking about it without even thinking about it. He does the same thing about the supernatural. It just flows out of him. And as if to tell you and, to, and to, to comfort you. Don't worry. I got this handled. I've got. He's telling, tell, trust Christ's words about the cosmos. Trust Christ's words about himself. He is the unique God man. Did you notice this? Why? What does he say? What does he say here? Um, actually, it's a, uh, take a look in verse 19. I am telling you this now before it even happens. So when it does happen, you can believe what? That I am. Right here. Did you? Did, we, we read that psalm together and we translate the old, the old name of God, I am. I am. That's the, that's the name Christ grabs. John puts it right in his mouth in the Greek. He's saying it over and over and over again. He is the victor. <laughs> He's it. No, he is the transforming power in the universe uh, about the cross, a counterintuitive reality. Now is he glorified. Did you notice that language? Take a look here. Um, uh, once he left in verse 31, when, 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 the devil, when the devil goes out in Judas, when he goes out to do the evil deed he has to do in verse 31, what does he say? Now is the Son of Man glorified. Believe him about the cross. What looks like death to him and can look like death to you is not. No, no, no. God is triumphing over darkness again and again, even when darkness looks like it's looming larger than ever. For wherever, wherever evil works, what? God works all the more. God works all the more. In the into reality, and when worlds collide, I want to end with this about his love for you. Eternal love is on the scene. I want to end with this. Why doesn't Christ teach them right here about demonic possession? Why not? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he right this moment, let's take it down. Hey, let me tell, let me, this is what you need to do. You need to mutter some Latin words with some water and sprinkle on, uh, and, and hopefully, you don't know what a cross is yet, but when you get one, you'll know. And then you're going you're gonna to hold it over somebody's head and, and, and it's going to push back against you, but you push back against that demonic. I'll tell you, it's going to, heads are going to spin. It's going to be weird. No, he doesn't. It goes back to, you may have heard, I think this is such a beautiful illustration. I, I, I loved using it. Um, they trained bank tellers on how to 
spot counterfeits. Do you know how they do that? They make sure they only touch real money for the first several months. Because after using money every day, every second of every day, every minute, just constantly counting money, you know what happens when they get a, a fake bill? They can tell right away. They, as you, you know, they're snapping off the bill. And I, that didn't feel right. This into word, believe into God. Don't let your hearts be upset. Believe into God. Believe also into me. Look at this here. In my father's house, there's so much room. If it weren't like that, would I tell you I'm going to prepare a place for you? What's he saying there? I'm giving you everything you need. I'm being so honest with you. Don't worry. So what, what's the answer? What's the beginning answer here to, to, to the struggle against Satan and against the powers of darkness? Cleaving to Christ. Get you some Jesus. Get you some Christ. Yes, go. <laughs> Make a decision for Christ because if you have not made a decision for Christ, you are under the domain of evil. And Christ himself has warned us that Satan has a power to take the truth out of your mind. Have you ever sat here on a Sunday morning going, I kind of get that. I kind of like that. I kind of believe that. I think I could believe this. Only to later think, oh, gosh, I can't even remember what he talked about Sunday. Has that ever happened to you? There's, that's part of satanic work to remove the truth from our hearts and our minds. I don't know how Satan can do that. We're going to look at those kind of things. But what we're going to look at satanic warfare demonic warfare. What are the tools are? But what is, what's the basic route to victory? Be in Jesus. Yes. Yes, in fact, what's the victory? Be in. Get into the, remember what, what's the word we've been introduced to? What's the new word? What's the new command he's giving? Love. Don't be, and let this happen now, don't be surprised in the, in the most intimate places of love in the most intimate places of love, who's hovering? Let's take a look here. Let's look at verse 23. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved. Does anybody know who that is? It's John, the one who's writing this book. He's, he's quiet about who he is, so he would never brag. Isn't that amazing? He just would never exalt himself. The one that Jesus loved was reclining at the table on Jesus' chest. Uh, the ESV fails here. The ESV fails. The ESV says at his side, and that is not what it says. And the reason they say that is because some people have taken this to be an example of homosexual affection between Jesus and John. That is a lie that is not true. You know why that's such a sad lie? Because we're being invited to that kind of intimacy with him, but not just with him. We're to love one another. Where does spiritual warfare start? It starts in your worship for Christ and your love for each other. And that's where it begins. Have nothing to do with sensationalism and, oh, we're going to get out there and we're going we're to conquer, we're going we're gonna to smack people in the head and deliver them from the... Don't have anything to do with that stuff. We may have a demonic, uh, we might have uh, exorcism happening in our community. I don't know, I don't even, look, I don't know what it looks like. But in the New Testament, there ain't nothing sensational about it. 
It's the power, the raw power of the risen Christ is ours. And we can know him as he truly is. We are welcome into him. Because it's either Christ, it's either Satan going into you, possibly. It is either the divine force of darkness going into you or you going into him. And that is your choice, and that is where all the demonic battles begin and fall. That's where they begin and fall. And that's why in the end, oh, it's so blessedly simple. Put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in his substitutionary death for your sin. Apply that love to everybody. Forgive your husband, your wife. Forgive all the idols. Give it all up. And follow and chase the matchless grace of Jesus and his eternal love. Because that is why the devil's there. Because he hates that. And that's why in the end he's trounced. Because he cannot conquer that. Praise him. And in the end, there's this blessed simplicity, a blessed beauty, a blessed victory that it belongs to even the weakest children of the king, even the most frail, even the most confused and, and frightened little Christian rabbit. If you have Jesus, you have the king of kings walking in victory, trouncing the forces of darkness. If you want to fight good spiritual battles, get yourself to Jesus. And that's where they begin and end. Praise him. And so what we're going to do as we go towards Ephesians 6, we're going to learn that we can, there's more ways we can get into Christ. There's more ways we can access. And when we access more and more, and this, some of it's here hinted at, if we access his promises here in my father's house, we access him and believe him completely. When we put his word inside of us, we become spiritual warriors in the spiritual battle around us where he is doing all the fighting. That's why, that's why we look next week, the first thing we're going to look at is what? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his mighty power. Not in your strength. It's all about him. Praise him. All right, let's pray. Dearest Father, prayer is one of those weapons prayer is one of those places but what is prayer but us simply getting into you <laughs> believing into you having you as our hope oh father i i pray i pray for um victory in spiritual battle and a victory that comes from knowing you i pray a victory that comes in your glory a victory over over and, and father we don't want to we don't want to give way to superstition and fear and, 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 and some sort of uh, supernatural drama that some people want to draw us into. But we also, Father, don't want the half-baked Christianity that's around us. Bring us to you. Bring us to worship of you. Bring us again, Father, to your Son. Let us know him, the great I am. Let us have access to him. Like, give us a new kind of access and, and joy in him. If there's anybody today, Father, who hasn't decided for, for your son, Jesus, let them decide in their hearts now. And don't let the devil or anything else prevent them or, or, or lie to them or deceive them. Father, keep, a, keep the, the evil one and his works far away from us this week. Protect us and teach us in the weeks ahead what your protective measures are so we too can stand in the day of evil. Because we know that we, there, there are going to be challenges to us standing. We know that. Father, where we need it to change our belief system, help us change it. Where we need new wisdom, help us to have it. 
where we, what we need to understand, help us to understand as much as we can of what you're doing. And uh, in all things, we glorify you, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.